Well, as all of you know, we have been <coughs> in the Book of Romans for a long time. And we may be in there for another long time. I don't know because we get off track a lot. And I do want to apologize because the last time we were together, I sort of opened up the forum for us to get into discussion, forgetting that I have the mic on me, none of you have the mic on you. <laughs> and it is being recorded. And so uh, <clears throat> I'm sure I set Daniel in a dither, <laughs> and perhaps Rose too, because she helps out. But they wouldn't have been able to have heard anything and the message is put on the, the website. And <clears throat> so I apologize. So today, if anything comes up and you wanna just think, I'd like to go into this a little further, or I'd like to ask questions about it, jot it down and we'll talk about it as soon as the, the uh, uh, time is up because I'm gonna try today to get through 10, but I felt like uh, when I was praying that God said highlight again where we've been because sometimes when we skip some times or a lot of people aren't here, it's hard to pick up where we were before <clears throat> and carry on. So. Thought, okay, I will do that thing. So, first of all, we know Paul wrote the book of Romans. We also know that he was assigned by Jesus to preach the gospel to the Jews first, then to the Gentiles. And so, a lot of times throughout the book of Romans, you will hear him addressing his own people because uh, Paul was very much. Um, in distress almost over the fact that they kept refusing their Messiah. They kept finding all of these excuses, which some of them that we will go into. So one of the main themes of the gospel is righteousness by faith and not by works. <clears throat> now I know that we think we have that understanding. But I guarantee you when I've been counseling and in other times, I can tell you we don't have it. We think we have it. But if, <clears throat> if the enemy is in any way able to accuse us and make us feel guilty over things that we have done, then we haven't got this word established quite right on the inside of us. So the first thing that we find out in Romans 1 is that uh, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. Of course, that's Romans 1, 17. And so uh, another thing that I wanted to go into is uh, we, we think that we are not living <clears throat> under the law. But when we go back to this thing of the accusation again, we can't be accused of anything if there isn't the law that's causing us to be accused. And so when we get into the book of Romans, we really see how we have been um, set free from the dictates of the law because the law cannot produce righteousness. And so we've been over this over and over and over again. So I've been reading the epistles again, and Paul repeats it over and over and over again. And the reason he does is because he wants us to get and understand this very principle. Because we all know when we're born into the world that we're born into the Adam nature. The Adam nature 
all it knows to do is to uh, be under the uh, knowledge of good and evil, which is what they were forbidden to eat. That is actually the tree of law. <clears throat> and so the enemy then, when he came, he knew that if he could get Adam and Eve into to, to themselves, where law was established by what they thought was, was good or bad, then he could get them to think like he thinks. And so this is why the world is under the sway of the evil one. And the evil one is the accuser of the brethren because all he can use is the law. So if we can get this in our mind, that that's what the law is for us to expose sin, we were judged by the law, that's why the enemy uses it all of the time. He knows if he can point our finger at us and say, oh, you shouldn't have done this or you shouldn't have done that and get us into that sin consciousness <coughs> again, then we find out then that uh, we're not truly established in the righteousness of God. Turn this off here, so it won't bother us. So if I were to ask anyone here in this room, and I would say, uh, <clears throat> do you understand that your righteousness is not your own? Most of us would raise our hands and say, oh yeah, I know, my righteousness is not my own. Yet I can guarantee that when you go home and something happens that you make a mistake, you're trying always to be good enough. You're trying always to be what you think you're supposed to be. You're always working at being somebody or something. And it turn comes back to the same old independent nature that Adam fell with, which is all about me. We have, we've got to get this concept that it's all about me out of our head. Because life isn't all about me. It's all about my life in Christ. Now, if we can just put up a, a billboard and say, okay, the old man is dead now. What is my life in Christ? What does it look like? What does it mean to have life in Christ? It doesn't mean you stop living. It doesn't mean you stop being who you are individually. It means that everything is filtered through, okay, God, who am I in you? I am a new creation. And he wants us walking in that new creation, not in this old stuff all the time. So Paul does a very good job explaining to us what this all means, and he wants us to understand it. So Romans 3, 19 through 20 says, now whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law that every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty before God. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. Now, we've hit on this as we've gone through Romans several different times. But the whole world is already guilty because the whole world is under the law. But the believer is not. Now, I know I've had people say, now, wait a minute, Sharon, we've got to have the law. Oh, yeah, we have to have the law, but not to determine our righteousness. <laughs> it, is the, it is a guideline to know how we can please God through what's right and what's wrong. And so if we can get that mind set out of our mind, or this mindset out of us that says, okay, uh, I can't lie, I can't cheat, I can't steal, I can't, all the, th all the things you think you can't do. 
and you try to perform that in your own flesh, then all you're doing is trying to resurrect what's dead <laughs> and bring it to life your way rather than letting it be because God has begun a work in you when you said yes to Jesus. Because as soon as you say yes to Jesus, whether you see it or not, something deep inside of you begins to happen. And in that thinking, then God's beginning to, you'll hear another little voice, a little quiet, soft voice that will say, this is the way, go in it. Not, okay, I have to do this and I have to do this to be good enough because that's coming from your fallen nature. Now, yes, we're gonna make choices and we're gonna see things that we can say, well, I'm not gonna do this and I'm not gonna do that because of the choice God has given us. But the mindset I'm wanting to get us established in is this mindset from what God says about us. When he declared us righteous, he declared us holy, he declared that we are already perfect. It's a work that's already done. We can't achieve it. We can't work for it. We can't get it. It's not going to happen. The harder we try, it's like when Romans 7, when we were reading Romans 7. I love Romans 7 because it helped me so much. That was when Paul said the very thing I will to do. I find that I'm doing something different. He could not. At the Towards the end of that chapter, he says, Oh, wretched man that I am, who's going to deliver me from this? And then he goes into Jesus. Jesus is the one that del delivers all of us from that mindset. Because I don't know if you've ever watched yourself and seen how many times you set your will to do something and you can't get it done. It just like we're set up to fail. The second that we say, I'm going to accomplish this. I'm going to do it. I can use diets. <laughs> How many times? Okay, this time it's going to work. <coughs> this time I'm going to do it. This time. And then in a, we stay separated in our independent nature from God, and we set out, and we're going to make it happen. Everything that I am is by the grace of God. And if we can only remember that, it will help us to realize that's the motivation. That's the motivation. I belong to him. He belongs to me. There's a relationship of love established in that. The motivation then is because I love him. And I don't, you know, we've said this a little bit before, but when you really love someone, you can't hurt them. You don't want to do anything to upset them. So you want to please the one that you love. And so, the kind of love God loved us with is such a powerful love because it's not anything that we can relate it to on human terms. We as human beings don't understand unconditional love. We always put some kind of a condition on our love. We expect something back in our natural love. Whereas with God's love, he just constant loves us. He, we can't be separated from his, his love, and we're going to come into that in just a few minutes. So I know that I am probably repeating myself, and I'm probably harping on this, but if we don't get it, we fall short. 
We just, we need to understand that. If we don't understand that I have no righteousness, if we don't understand that any goodness that came from me came from the gift of righteousness from him, then we're going to keep our minds set on the things we do wrong all of the time, which is the sin consciousness that God says, I want you set free from sin consciousness. The law of sin and death no longer applies to us. And as long as we think it does, we're going to be in this internal battle. And it is a battle. But sooner or later, God's going to get us to come to the end of ourselves where we're going to give up and then we can be broken and useful for our king. <laughs> but in the meantime, I say, guys, just surrender. <laughs> just give up. Just let him be the author and the finisher of your faith. Let him be everything that you need, because otherwise you will get to where you t depend upon yourself to make things happen. And we've all been there because it's part of our fallen nature. So anyway, Paul really comes in there and tries to explain our death in Adam and our life in Jesus. I won't read those scriptures, but uh, I don't want to take the time to because I think you understand that well enough. So if we are dead to sin, um, we've been delivered from the law. Uh, and once we understand that, it will honestly change the way we think about God and the way we think about ourselves, okay? The thing that I want you to understand here is that the weapon that the enemy uses against us is always the law. That's the weapon. So let's, let's read Isaiah 54, 17, and, and read it in the line of what we've been talking about. <clears throat> Isaiah 54, 17 says, No weapon formed against you shall prosper, and every tongue... Now this is Satan's accusations, because the accuser of the brethren is Satan. It is not human beings. He has to have access to move through someone, but it's still he is the accuser of the brethren. It says, No weapon shall prosper, and every tongue which rises against you in judgment you shall condemn. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord, and their righteousness is from me, says the Lord. And so, if uh, the enemy tells you you're guilty, points that finger at you, we can say, No, I'm not because I've been, I've been declared innocent now by the blood of Jesus. So right here, I want to reiterate, who, who is the real identity that we have? See, our natural man is no longer our real identity. And so we need to remember, my new creation is who I am in Christ Jesus, which means who I am in the Spirit. And so that identity is the one that has the right to claim everything that is God's. It has the right to claim that I am everything God says I am. It has the right to be everything God declared we are. And so that is an effort coming from our natural man. That is something being produced deep within us in our spirit man, because God is always alive always working, always doing, always trying to woo us into who he wants us to be. Now, if we 
if we stay in our mind and in this fleshly part of us that is constantly battling our flesh, guess what? It's going to slow down our growth spiritually. It's going to prevent us from coming into all God wants us to be and all God wants us to have. Because we should be able in our spirit man to just say, God, I believe and I receive everything that you have for me. But what happens is this gets in the way and our natural man that is still battling and fighting the sin area can't reach up there and receive it because we're hindered through our mind to be able to believe to receive. I know at the beginning of the year, that was the word Janice got, was believe. And I'll tell you why. It was a powerful, it's a powerful word to latch onto and to believe and to hang on to. Because if we don't believe, we can't receive. <laughs> it sounds really simple, but that's how simple it is. And so can you see why it's so important for us to see that the enemy is defeated? He's defeated because his weapon has been taken away. The only way he can use that weapon is if we let him use it against us. So um, we know guilt, blame, and shame, those three things. God's really been working in my heart about uh, getting rid of those things in my life. But in counseling, almost without exception, without, almost without exception, that is the thing the enemy is using in our lives. The guilt, the blame, and the shame. If he can make me feel guilty, and then I start blaming myself, I'm going to wear this, I'm going to hook myself to that power of sin. God wants us to unhook ourselves. Take that hook out of your hand that is constantly hanging over you to make you feel less than, worthless, guilty, whatever it is. We've got to let go of that. And otherwise, we can't really come boldly to that throne of grace. And what does the Bible tell us? We are to come boldly to the throne of grace where we can receive grace and help in time of need. But if I'm carrying that burden of my own guilt, I've got a weight on me, and I can't break through that weight. And so I feel like God's challenging us. He's challenging us to say what he says about us. And of course, that's what the freedom in Christ is all about. But that is such a good program because it does change your mind. It makes you begin to declare wait a minute, I really am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. I don't have any righteousness in myself. I really am seated in the heavenly places far above all the powers and principalities. Can you really see yourself seated there? Because when you're up there, you've got an eagle's point of view. You don't have an earthly point of view. And God wants us to fly as the eagles. He wants us to be in the heavenlies. He wants us to live our lives from that position. He wants us to go about life looking at it from that position because otherwise we're going to be taken in by circumstances. We're going to be taken in by all the negative stuff. We're going to operate in our natural realm. We're going to walk in anxiety, fear, um, 
all kinds of things that the enemy loves to see us operating in. So our daily battle, it's always that identity. Which one of these two people am I going to walk in? And so from today on, <laughs> commit yourself to say, okay, God, remind me of who I am in the, in the spirit. Remind me all the time that I really am in you and you are in me. That because you died to sin, I died to sin. No longer do I have to be worrying about what I'm doing right and what I'm doing wrong. That's when we begin to enter into the rest. That's in Hebrews 4 that God's calling all of us into. I don't know a lot of people that know how to enter into that rest where they cease from their own work so that the works that they do are truly from the Spirit moving through them. I don't know very many people that know how to walk in a peace that is so solid that it passes all understanding because they shouldn't be in peace because everything around them is in chaos. But God's calling us to that resting place and it's in that resting place that we see what a great God we have. It's in that resting place that he's magnified and we know he can do anything. There isn't anything God can't do. And so he's saying, come up here. You just read that scripture. Come up here. I have things to show you, you know not of. I have all kinds of things I wanna do through you. I wanna manifest myself not only in you, on you, but through you. How can we do that if we're in here fighting guilt and shame and blame and anxiety and fear and all of the things that go on down here? We're crippled. We're handicapped. And God says, you're instruments of my righteousness. And in you, I've put the ministry of reconciliation. That ministry of reconciliation is such a powerful, powerful gift because there people see something resting on us and they want it. And you know, when you can speak peace, when you can live peace, when you can let the love of God come from, uh, from yourself, and I emphasize that because we try to love <laughs> in our own strength. Well, forget that one. So I have developed the habit of saying, God, love them through me because I know that if they do something to trip a trigger in me, I, I'm not gonna, <laughs> not gonna love in the love of God. I like what Janice said. She was was in a session with me yesterday, and she was uh, saying, "What I do is I take a deep breath, and maybe she sighs." <laughs> But she has an immediate little conversation with God. And in that conversation, why she says, okay, God, I give it to you. <laughs> because she knows, she knows that if she doesn't, she's gonna go and she's gonna probably get in and stew. And I don't know, I haven't been around Janice much to know what she like when she's in a stew. But I think that maybe she could get irritated and maybe she could retaliate if it got bad enough. But that's true of all of us. And so I think about Paul a lot. And I've tried to uh, think about his demeanor and um, 
some of the things that, some of the situations and circumstances he was in, and yet in every one of them without fail, he was able to praise God. He was able to release all kinds of praises to the Lord. So what did God do? He performed miracles for him. One miracle after another because Paul knew how to be in that place with God where he was undisturbed by his circumstances, but so was Jesus. I don't know. I, I, I've marveled at the power of God. That resurrection power is in each one of us. So it isn't that we can't do this, okay? We just got to quit trying to do it ourselves. <laughs> so I challenge all of you as you leave today to just really ponder on what I'm talking about because it will, it, it will make a lot, it will be life changing. It will really make a difference in your lives. I know I've been in, in certain situations and circumstances, and I give God all the glory. I'm telling you, I give God all the glory. But I've had many people say to me, how come you're so quiet? How come you're so restful? How come you're so peaceful? Because I don't want to lose that peace of God. I crave it, and I can tell you when I lose it. I, just like that, I can tell you. So it isn't that I don't have the battles. It isn't that I don't flunk once in a while, because <laughs> I do. But I know what to do about it. I know that fast. Go back into that place. Because you don't have to lose it. See, what happens so much of the time <clears throat> is we don't know how, and I said this to someone yesterday, <clears throat> how to keep this current. We have, to keep, we have to keep our walk with God current because otherwise, you know, our independent nature will just make us walk out and we'll be doing, well, all at once we'll realize, oh, wait a minute, I've come out here all by myself. God, where are you? It's because we walked away from that place. And God wants to, to keep us close. He, he, we have an intimate God. Have you ever noticed that? God is intimate. He's acquainted with our thoughts, our intentions, the very motivation of our heart. He knows us better than we know ourselves. And he's right there. He's so intimate. He wants us to walk in that intimacy. And so, I, I mean, I, I even challenge you younger people because I, I can remember when I was a teenager, and honestly, I claimed I was a Christian, and I went to church and did all the Christian things, but there wasn't this internal, this, uh, this connection with God personal, and that's what he's after. So don't be afraid to break through that and say, here I am, God, just as I am, and just totally surrender. Because it's in that surrender that God visits you. It's in that surrender that the breakthrough comes. It's in that surrender that you hear that still, quiet voice. And as um, I've walked with the Lord, one of the things that I have noticed is how, how difficult it is to be still, just to be still. We always feel like we gotta transmit, or we, we should be, maybe we should be reading the word, or, or maybe, I should, maybe I should go get some communion and do have communion. You're, there's something in us that always has to be active. 
But what does the word say? Be still and know that I am God. I'd rather sit an hour in the Lord's presence doing nothing than spending an hour transmitting all, the, all of them. Because you know what? I could transmit all day long prayer, prayer requests, prayer needs, prayer things. But if I don't have that time alone where I know that quiet, still voice of God, am I going to be praying out of my mind rather than out of my heart? And God wants our heart. He doesn't want all this mindset to pray out of because a lot of people have tremendous knowledge of the Word, and they can just pray, 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 pray the Word and declare this and declare that and speak this and speak that. Those are nothing if you speak one word from your heart. So I really emphasize, <clears throat> tell God you want Him to take your heart, that you want the best of your ability, you're going to surrender, but allow him to do what it takes to bring about full surrender. Because it's a work. It isn't something that just happens. And a lot of times it takes suffering. We've talked about the suffering. Sometimes we have to go through those trials. We have to go through the tribulation. We have to go through uh, suffering to a great extent. Because even Paul understood how important suffering was. Because he said, I consider all things rubbish. All things nothing compared to the knowledge of him. And the, he wanted to know the fellowship of Christ's suffering. Because he knew what that suffering was going to do inside of him. And so we need to understand that when we go through some of these trials and these well, I can call it suffering pretty easy, but when we go through that, there's a scripture that says, count it all joy. <laughs> count it all joy when I'm miserable? <laughs> no, because God's doing something in us that is so valuable. He's taking off some rough edges or sandpapering us so we're not... <sighs> Got a lot of triggers that can be <laughs> triggered. So embrace... His grace. Embrace God's grace and allow Him to take off all those rough edges. And when you go through the trials, ask Him, what are you to learn in this? What is it? Uh, <clears throat> here again, this, this happens a lot in counseling sessions, but we can't avoid relationships because we're, everything is relational. <clears throat> but when we are <clears throat> Excuse me. But when we are in relations, we need to know if someone says something or does something that triggers something in us, we can't push blame on them. We need to look at ourselves and say, okay, God, what are you after in me? What is it that you're after that's causing me to respond or react this way? And he'll show you. I guarantee you. He'll show you. We have an awesome God, and He is trying to bring us back to His original creation. He's trying to bring us back to the place that Adam and Eve knew before the fall. And that's where, without any hesitation, 
They knew who their God was. They knew who they were. And you know, they never even had a thought about anything else. It was such a, such a relationship. Now, did they live a wonderful life? I believe they did. I think that Adam and Eve were able to enjoy one another and enjoy their creation and enjoy life. God didn't take any of that away from them. It was just that the connection to Him was so great. They were truly living and moving and having their being in Him. And that's where He's calling all of us, is to be aware of that. God, you're everything. So here I am, off on the rabbit trail again. Um, but one of the most promising things, and here again, it's in Romans 8, uh, that we have as um, promises is in Romans 8, 1 through 11. And I think that this is, it's a powerful scripture and we need to remember it. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. That's what we've been talking about. And because Jesus was an offering for sin, he condemned sin. So we are not even to look at sin. We're not even to look at it. The more we look at it, the more we get drawn into it. Have you ever, here again, it's one of those things. The harder I try, the harder I fail. The harder I try, the harder I fail. Well, the only time that I can say that, that there's an uh, exception to that is if you don't really know Jesus and you are only living in the flesh realm, you can, you can determine and have sheer willpower to do a lot of things because I think a lot of the, Olymp the Olympic champions, that's what they've done. They have a very hard, disciplined life, and because that life is so disciplined, they can accomplish some great things. But what, in the end of all things, who gets the glory? It certainly isn't God, is it? And so if we're going to do all things as unto him, where he's the one that gets the glory, then uh, we have to remember that, that it's not about us again. Every th that's a big thing. So, all right. So this is another thing I want to bring out. <clears throat> um, in verse 9 of that scripture, it says... You are not in the flesh, but you are in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. But if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. If Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin. Okay. Now this is where, again, I want to bring us to this understanding that our flesh or our body or whatever you want to call it we reckon it dead and I've used this word many times because there was several years ago uh, some teaching out about dying to self and that is a heresy teaching and the reason that it's a heresy teaching is because I can't die to self okay I can't I was crucified with Christ Nevertheless, I live, yet it's not I, but Christ that liveth in me, so that the life I live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. And so I need to remember <clears throat> that if I, if I have the Spirit of God in me, then I am not sinful. Okay? How many of us can say that? 
That's what this says. That's exactly what it says. You are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if indeed the spirit of God dwells in you. So if the spirit of God dwells in me because I have said yes to, de to Jesus, then sin is not there. Okay? So once again, am I identifying with the spirit of God in me or am I identifying with my natural flesh? Because the flesh isn't going to cut it ever. So I got to remember, okay, Christ is in me. I'm his and he is mine. That's about as dynamic as you can get. That's power. That's resurrection. That's where faith absolutely will burst. And so we got to get this, this out of the way. It's just got to get out of the way. <laughs> and so that's why, I, and you're going to hear me repeat it. I do a lot, don't I, Janice? But you know, it's, it's a constant reminder. We need this reminding, reminding of, because it's so easy to slip in to the other, to our fleshly realm. But I still, okay, even if I sin today, even if I say something bad to Rosemary or have a bad attitude or whatever it is, I am still not a sinner in my new creation. I just tell God I'm sorry that I slipped over into the flesh. If we can just remember that, because the flesh is just sitting there ready to be resurrected. It's all, that's all it is. And so that's why I can't kill it. All I can do is reckon it dead. And I've told my flesh many times, shut up. <laughs> I've told my flesh many times, I'm not listening. I'm not listening. I'm going to listen here. And it's a training, but as you train yourselves in that, you don't have to do it like I do it, but as you begin to train yourself, you'll begin to understand what living in the Spirit is all about. It's not hard. It's bringing yourself in agreement with God. That's all it amounts to. We make this big complicated deal out of it where we have to do certain things to be living in the Spirit. No. <laughs> Doing. Can you hear how the enemy likes to get us there and keep us there? Because if he can, he will. So, anyway. So God wants us to understand how incredible his love and his mercy is. And it's also in, in Romans, that eighth chapter talks about how who can separate us from his love. So even, even people in the world, they are told, Jesus loves you. And a lot of times we'll take scripture and we'll think, well, if, if we've sinned, then God doesn't love us anymore. I think a lot of people in their preliminary years of, of Christianity will think, I've done something to make God mad at me, or I've, got, I've done something that's made God displeased. But I want to read this scripture and say something to you that might put it in a little light different for you. Romans 8, 35 through 39 says, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? As it is written, Yet in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. 
For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now the word nakedness means simply unclothed, right? So to be unclothed would be actually, according to this scripture, would mean not saved, okay? So we cannot use that in the line of speaking to only Christians because <clears throat> that isn't what it is saying. And I just want to reiterate through th about three different scriptures that would really bring this, this truth out. Isaiah 61.10 I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall be joyful in my God, for he has clothed me with the garments of salvation, and he has covered me with the robe of righteousness. <clears throat> And then <clears throat> Zechariah 3, 1 through 5. This is where Zechariah is having a vision. And he is seeing Joshua in this vision. <clears throat> and he is seeing Joshua, the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord. And Satan's standing right beside him to accuse him. And the Lord says to Satan, The Lord rebuke you, Satan. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is not this a man, a burning stick snatched from the fire? Now Joshua was dressed in filthy clothes as he stood before that angel. Then in verse 4 it says, The angel said to those who were standing before him, Take off his filthy clothes. Then he said to Joshua, See, I have taken away your sin, and I will put rich garments on you. And then I said, put a clean turban on his head. So they put a clean turban on his head and clothed him while the angel of the Lord stood by. I could spend a lot of hours on this particular scripture. But that, that turban that's on his head actually represented his salvation because it was, it, it, they always wore that white turban. It represented his salvation. And so there he was before in his filthy rags, which we all before Jesus have our filthy rags. But as soon as that angel touched him, as soon as that happened, he was clothed in the robes of righteousness. And so that's what we're clothed in. We're clothed in those robes of righteousness. So then let's go to 2 Corinthians 5, 1 through 4. For we know that if our earthly house, this tent is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this we groan, earnestly desiring to be clothed with our habitation which is from heaven. If indeed, having been clothed, we shall not be found naked. So that scripture in Romans 8 that I read about nakedness, that has to do with those who have not yet received the Lord. So. Uh, we need to be careful so many times when we read scriptures that we take time if a word sticks out or, or, it, or maybe doesn't make too much sense to us. Look it up, even if it's in the Webster's Dictionary. Take time to look up words. You'll be amazed at the, at the way it will expand uh, your understanding of what those scriptures are. Uh, I, I have thought many times, maybe I will, I don't know, 
have a class sometime on how to study the, the Word. Because a lot of people, they just skim the top of it or they read it and then they think, okay. Some people even memorize scripture, which I think is wonderful. I wish I'd have done a lot more of it, but I haven't. But I do dig it apart. I do, I don't just take the words as they're written there. There's something in me, and it's probably the teacher, you've got it in you, that I'm not satisfied unless I understand what a scripture is saying. And so many times we don't take the time. We're always in a hurry. Have you noticed how, especially this day and age, how hurried we are? Everybody's in a hurry. We don't have time for this and we don't have time for that. And I'm guilty. <laughs> I'll tell you, I'm guilty. But when it comes to the word of the Lord, I'm just not satisfied unless I tear it apart and actually read it. I don't think you have to be a teacher to do that. Just make a choice one time. Just say, okay, God, what would you have me to read? And I would suggest, he probably might say one of the epistles or the book of John. I'm not sure. But since we are to understand the gospel, then I would think that the epistles would be the place to start because that will be where you will get the true understanding of what the gospel is all about. And the whole theme of the gospel is his righteousness. That's what we need to understand. It's his righteousness. It isn't our own. Okay, so where do we want to go? All right, I'm gonna start chapter 10 all over again. <laughs> okay. As we began in chapter 10 the last time, we were talking about how Paul was so grieved in that chapter because of the lack of faith in his own people. And so he was almost in despair over their lack of understanding. But of course, he had great empathy because he was there himself not too many years before. I wish I knew how many years it had passed from the time that Jesus was crucified to the time that uh, he had that experience on the road to Damascus. I haven't quite got that all figured out, but Paul got that firsthand experience on the road to Damascus where Jesus met him one-on-one, -on -one, took the scales off of his eyes, made him realize who he really is and his purpose. And so Paul knew without a doubt that he was to uh, win the Gentiles and of course his own people. And so his heart was so tender towards them. He understood why that they didn't do it. And so the first reason that they didn't was because they didn't believe that they needed salvation. We touched on this before, but they always thought they were God's chosen people. They had the law and the law became absolutely their idol. They, they uh, put everything into the law because that's what separated them from all the other nations. And so they felt like, oh, we are God's chosen people, we're fine. And so when you have that self-righteous attitude, sometimes you just don't hear God very well. And so, um, anyway. And then the second one was they, did, they misunderstood their own law. 
See, Christ is the end of the law. If they could have understood Christ was the end of the law, then while they were trying to obey the law, they would have known it was leading them to something in the future so that when that time came, they could have received their Messiah. Because as it was, the law became their, their God. And so because the law became their God, Christ was not something that they could believe in. And here he came in flesh and blood, hung on the cross, did everything that they had heard he was going to do, yet they did not receive him. I, I look back at that sometimes and I think, how many times does God manifest almost himself to us and we don't recognize that it is him? And um, in our religious minds, we can actually think that we are okay. And that was one of the other things. The, the Israelites were very zealous for God. They were so zealous that they even uh, tried to improve his laws by adding their own traditions to it. And so uh, a lot of times you would hear Paul talk about the traditions of the fathers. And how many times did Jesus use that phrase? You're like the devil, like the traditions of your forefathers. He wanted them to understand that they weren't understanding his, even what he had come for. And I kind of touched on this. They were proud and self-righteous. They looked at their own good works. They looked at their religious self-righteousness. And they, couldn't, they didn't look at the sin in their lives. They put all their confidence in their own flesh to become righteous. And so whenever that happens, now we've used this, I've talked about this a lot, and I'm probably going to talk about it a lot more, is that when we, when we fell in the fall, we fell into ourself. We became so self-centered. Self-centeredness is what life is all about until Jesus comes along. We can, all you have to do is look at babies. That's all they think about. I'm hungry, I'm wet, I want this, I want that. They cry, they get it. <laughs> and so that self-centeredness is a big deal. And that's what we all live out of until Jesus comes in and begins to change our minds so that we no longer are centered in on ourselves. So in Romans, um, those are actually, I was going through those first uh, uh, five chapter, five verses of the first chapter of Romans. So you can go back and read it if you want to. But in Romans uh, 10, in the sixth verse, uh, but the righteousness of faith speaks in this way. Do not say in your heart, who will ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down from above, or who will descend into the abyss, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth, and in your heart. That is the word of faith which we preach, that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture says, whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. So I, I won't go on into the, the next couple of ones then. Uh, but can you see how the emphasis in those verses is believing from the heart? He is so centered on our hearts. And so this is just a suggestion if you want to do this in your prayer time. 
I've done it a lot myself. I've said, God, expose to me what is in my heart. I don't know what's in my heart. A lot of times I don't have any idea. And that I've been in that prayer and I have seen wrong motivations where I have done something because I wanted uh, somebody to appreciate what I did or I wanted something to say, oh, wow, that was great that you did that. I was wanting something in return. That's not the motivation that God is looking for because that's not what real love is. I love this, the book of Prodigal God. That book is an awesome God, uh, book. And in that book, I know this one story that stands out so clearly. In that story, there was this king and he had two servants. And one of the servants really loved the king. And so he gave him, uh, he said, I'll give him the very best uh, of my produce out of my garden. And so he took to the king his beautiful carrots, I believe is what he gave him. They were gigantic, beautiful carrots. And because he loved his king and he gave it out of love, that king so appreciated that gift, even though it appeared to be a small gift. So the other servant who was, ah, wow, if the Lord is going to praise him and give him all of these things because of what he did, he said, okay, I'm going to give him this beautiful stallion. And so he gives him this beautiful stallion. He takes it to the king. And the king says, I don't want it. And that servant was just horrified. Why would you not want this beautiful stallion? It's so much better than those carrots. But the king looked at him and he said, because you gave it to yourself. He gave it to himself because the motivation of his heart was he wanted that king to praise him. He wanted that king to give him all the glory for what he did. See, this is what God's getting out of all of us. And it's been in all of us. I mean, I'm not going to lie. We have all had. That's why unconditional love never expects anything in return. If I'm giving something to you and it's a gift, my hands go off of that gift. What you do with it is totally up to you. But that king represented Jesus. And so Jesus saw the, the, the motivation of that servant's heart. And so when we have that kind of motivation where we always have to be, have appreciation, we always have to have something back, we are not doing that as unto the Lord. So just kind of remember that. That's just one of the things the Lord showed me one time. And then the thing on graven images, I could go, I could teach on graven images for a long time. That's those images we put in our mind of who we think that we want to be in Christ or even in the natural. And so we, we create this image, okay, I want people to think of me as um, loving and giving and kind and Oh, let's go through all the fruit of the Spirit. That's what we would like to project and have everybody like us. Because the motivation of our heart is for us to have all of our needs met through that. And I've taught on the needs before, but if you want to write them down, I'll give them to you again. The needs that we are all born with is the need to be needed, wanted, accepted, approved, 
and understood. We're born with those needs. And if they're not met, we're going to try to get them met through people. And so a lot of times the motivation in our heart is because we're trying to get a need met. And if that happens to be our motivation, then it, we're giving us unto ourselves. We're getting something in us met in what we are doing. And when God begins to remove those scales from our eyes and we begin to see the true motivation of our heart, then we can, we can cooperate with the Holy Spirit to allow Him to cleanse us of all of those things. And so don't be afraid to ask Him. Ask Him, God, show me the motivation of my heart. And He will. And He will. So, let's see. In Romans 10, 14 through 15, Paul said, How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. And he is quoting there out of Isaiah 57 or 52, 7, which says, How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news, who proclaim peace, who bring good tidings, who proclaim salvation and say to Zion, Your God reigns. And then there's another one in Nahum 1, 15. Um, there on the mountains, the feet of the one who brings good news, who proclaims peace. How beautiful are his feet. And so a lot of times... Uh, teachers have that spoken to them, you know, that little prophetic word, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good tidings. So that first reference has to, I won't go into that, I'm just, that's not necessary. Um, yeah, I want to read Isaiah 52, 7 through 10, because... Um, this has to do kind of with the watchman. But on, in Isaiah 52, 7 through 10, it says, How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news, who proclaim peace, who bring good tidings, who bring uh, salvation, who say to Zion, your God reigns. The rest of that verse says, Your watchmen lift up their voices. Together they shout for joy. When the Lord returns to Zion, they will see it with their own eyes. And then it talks about bursting into songs of joy, um, uh, talking about how redeem or Jerusalem is redeemed. One of the things I wanted to emphasize there is that uh, in our private time or in any other time, and I think a lot of times we should do this in prayer meetings, not forget to praise the Lord. <laughs> Not forget to put that, um, because the joy of the Lord is really going to be our strength. And the joy comes when we are praising God. That joy is going to bubble up in all of us. But a lot of times we forget to praise. And I have been, I've been trying to practice this myself because I've been, a lot of times I just go to prayer. You know how that is. But if we start out with thanksgiving and praising and, it, you know, it's like it opens up those gates. And so one of the things that I feel like the why, and if that's something that's difficult for you, because it was for me in the beginning, just uh, 
start in a small way and it'll grow. And start, start thinking about the things you're grateful and thankful for because that will begin to illuminate, oh God, you really have blessed me. And then the reality of it will begin to flow because without the reality of it, we're just brass cymbals and clanging gongs, you know, that's, it doesn't mean anything if we don't have our hearts in it. Okay. I wanna go down. I'm gonna skip some of this because it's sort of irrelevant. We already talked about how the emphasis uh, is on the heart. Yeah, I, I like this because a lot of times we don't think that there's so much of that in the uh, Old Testament, but there really is. That was something that I found out as I was going through this, and I went through it last night, and I thought, oh God, I didn't realize all that was in there about the heart in the Old Testament. Uh, in Deuteronomy 30, 11, 14, it says, now what I am commanding you today is not too difficult for you or beyond your reach. It's not up in heaven so that you have to ask who will ascend into heaven to get it and proclaim it to us so we may obey it, nor is it beyond the sea so that you have to ask who will cross the sea to get it and proclaim it to us so we may obey it. Actually, this is what Paul quoted in that other scripture I read. No, the word is very near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart, so you may obey it. Yeah, and then that was Deuteronomy 5.29 says, Oh, that their hearts would be inclined to fear me and keep my commandments. And then Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 8 says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. How many of us forget that one? <laughs> and then Deuteronomy 13, 1 through 5 says, um, I won't read that whole scripture. The part that I put in highlights was, The Lord your God is testing you to find out whether you love him with all your heart and with all your soul. And Deuteronomy 36 through 7 says, the Lord your God will circumcise your hearts and the hearts of your descendants so that you may love him with all your heart and with all your soul. And so part of what we were talking about a while ago is what God is doing. He's circumcising our hearts so that we will love him with our, all our hearts, with all of our soul, with all of our strength. And I want to, I think I'm gonna end it there. I am. So I just feel like if I can just leave the thought with you today that if you don't think in your own selves that you truly love God the way that you want to love God, make that a prayer. God cause me to love you more. Because if you pray that prayer, I don't know how it happened, but it's like things began to happen that I got tested in. And as I got tested more and more, it just seemed like I just kept, God, you're the only answer. God, you're the only way. God, I, I, I need you. I need you more. I need you every moment of the day. I need you. I, God loves to be needed. <laughs> he loves for us to have to have him. And I do. It's almost like, I need him more and more. How on earth can you need the Lord more and more? But as that understanding comes, 
you realize, God, I need you. I want you more and more. And so that song, the longer I serve him, the sweeter he grows, is so true because something in you begins to open up more and more and more. And then the love that he loved you with begins to go back to him again. And it's that unconditional love back to the Father. So I just want to leave that with you today as we finish up. And Patty, can we pray for you today? Sure. Okay. Father, we just praise you and we thank you for your word that is alive, it's living. God, it does cut and divide between our soul and our spirit and our body. God, help us to be alert to you. Help us to put you first in everything that we do throughout the day. Help us, Father, to keep the right perspective in our lives that you are the center, that you are the one, the great I am, that is there to be our strength, our help in time of need, that is there to be our joy, our peace, all that we are in need of, God, that's who you are. And so, Father, we thank you for each person that came today. I ask that as they leave, your blessings will go with them. Whatever they set their hands to do, Father, that you will bless them. And God, we praise most of all you and your love and your mercy and your compassion that you had on us by sending your son to make the provision for all that we have need of. And we give you all the glory in Jesus' name. Amen.